am Nicole Khalil, and on this episode of This Is Woman's Work, we're going to continue our conversation about a topic I believe we all know a lot about. You probably know it intimately, like I do, and yet somehow it's something we all know very little about, meaning it's something that we all experience but probably don't understand, or maybe that's just me. Today, we're going to talk about stress, again, and fear and how being a woman impacts our stress and fear and how our stress and fear impacts being a woman. We're gonna talk about being fearless and fearing less, how stress is hurting us, how stress can actually help us. And we're gonna throw in a little bit about the Barbie movie just for fun. At least that's my plan going into this conversation, but we'll see where it takes us because I've let stress run the show too often in my life. So I'm not gonna let it happen here. We're going to go wherever we go, and I'm going to trust that it'll be exactly as it should be because my guest today is epically good, and I think we could cover stress and fear every week for a year on the show, and maybe we'd begin to scratch the surface. So here we go. Our guest, Dr. Rebecca Heiss, is a stress physiologist who is dedicated to helping us overcome our instinctual limitations, the ancient, often subconscious fears that hold us back from our optimal performance and our happiest lives. Her research has been designated transformative by the National Science Foundation and is waking up audiences around the world. As an author of the acclaimed book, Instinct, founder and CEO of the Leadership 360 Review mobile application, IQity, and highly sought after professional speaker, Rebecca has found her calling in helping others recognize the power of biological applications in their lives. Rebecca's fearless message inspires hope and actionable insights to train our brains to work for us rather than against us in times of change and uncertainty. Rebecca, thank you for being here. I wanna first ask you where fear and stress overlap or intertwine, because I'm assuming they're different things, but they feel very linked, yes? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me, Nicole. I'm super excited to be here. You know, fear and stress are absolutely intertwined. I don't think you have fear without stress. And typically, you're not stressing without some fear. Fear, I think I separate out fear as the way our brain processes stress. Stress, I think of as the physiological response that our body is having to something that we are afraid of. So that's the kind of separation that I give them. I'm sure there's a more scientific definition, but that's how I like to think about it. No, that's great. And so that leads me beautifully into my next question is, how do we tell the difference between maybe the more biological fear, stress versus where fear and stress might be a mindset, a choice, a limitation Mm -hmm. or perception, like what we can't do anything about versus what we can do something about? That's a great question. So I I typically talk about stress um, as three different forms of stress. The the first one I call automatic negative thoughts. Those are the things that are exist in your head. The like, you're going to be rejected. You're not enough. You're not worthy. You're going to fail. Those are automatic. They're, They're ants, right? They're these creepy crawly ants that just invade our brain space. And we actually have more control over those than we recognize. And they're automatic. So, so hear that first, right? That, that is happening automatically because it's something that kept our ancestors alive that today is preventing you from fully living. So that's the first type of stress. The, the second one is something that's outside of our control. I call these kind of the, the daily 
um, the daily deal breakers, right? It's the the emails, the flood of of your inbox, the pings, the dings, the the in laws, the travel, the in laws, the travel, <laughs> my life, right? Um, it's the the kids, you know. It's 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 all the things that you're juggling. And then the third type of stress is that that, that punctuated stress, the stuff that's not the day to day, but those phone calls that you get that really change your life or change the trajectory, the, the interrupters, as it were. Um, and those, those are the things that I, I, I think, you know, we can set aside and say, okay, there are some things that I have control over, the stories in my head, those automatic negative thoughts that, again, there's a lot of overlap between all of these stressors, but there are things that we can control and things that we cannot. The daily stuff, the, the things that, that punctuate our, our equilibrium, as it were, those things we don't necessarily have control over, but we can control how we respond to them, right? Like the analogy I always give people is like, you're strapped into the roller coaster of life, right? You may not want to be going over that ledge. And it's like, no, 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 not COVID. No, I don't want this or love me, love me, love me. Why doesn't that person love me? I don't get it. You're strapped in. You don't get to control the ride, but you do get to control how you respond to it. And I think that's the essential piece that, that sometimes we miss. And, and the cool thing, I'm just going to jammer on for a second because I get really excited about this. The cool thing is hormonally, we're releasing the identical hormonal cocktail when we're under fear and stress and anxiety as we are when we are excited. So you think about like when you're really excited, your heart is pounding, you're sweating, your mouth dries up. You're like, ah, I can't wait. And when you're under stress, your heart is pounding, you're sweating, your mouth dries up. You're having the same physiological experience in the body. The difference is how you're interpreting it. So that's a, a key factor in in whether or not you're going to have an adventure or an ordeal um, throughout your days. So the automatic negative thoughts that we all mm. have reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. It goes something like, you can't prevent a bird from flying over your head, but you can prevent it from building a nest in your hair. And it's that sort of like, yes, the negative thought, you can't prevent it. It's It's coming in. But what you do with it once it's there, how long you let it stay and take up space is the choice. And I love, and I'm so glad that you said that, that it's really the same body response. We're trying to teach our 10-year-old that, yeah. that your body doesn't, it's the same whether it's excited or nervous. So you get to decide what to do with that. Okay, let's talk about how stress might be harming us. I want to talk about how it might be help or how we can use it to help us, but let's start first with how it might be harming us. Yeah. So this is kind of the, the old storybook of, you know, I, I can tell you a thousand ways that, that your stress is harming you. It's going to lower your immune system. So you're going to get sick more frequently. It actually ages you faster. It shortens your telomeres. Those are the, the tips of your chromosomes that begin to unravel. So like you're literally unraveling your, your very being um, through stress. You, um, you actually can have brain damage as a result of stress. So your IQ declines. Uh, there's all kinds of really nasty effects of stress. This is the most interesting thing I want to share with you though, because, you know, I think we, we focus a lot on all of the, the, distress, right? The bad stress. Um, but if you look at the stress performance curve, so think about think about an upside down U or a normal curve. And if you have performance on the y-axis and stress on the x-axis, if you have nothing to do, if you have no purpose in life, you have, you know, you're a trust fund baby, you don't have to get out of out of bed every day. Like you have you have nothing to do. You also have very little stress and very low performance. And you don't have a very meaningful life. On the other end of the curve, 
right? If you're like distressed, like completely out of, out of whack, um, you're also going to have very low performance. And people say, well, how do I get to that, that middle part? And I think this is the key. With a little bit of stress, that you stress, that good stress, you're actually getting to higher levels of performance. And people say, well, I, I would love that, but I, I spend all my time over here in the distress piece. I'm like, well, well hang on, time out. Think about an Olympic athlete. Do you think they're under really tremendous pressure and stress? I would say they're all the way over on the furthest part of the curve. The difference is they've trained their brain that stress isn't necessarily bad. And what we see in all these incredible scientific studies is that that dip in the curve, that distress, where all those negative health things I was talking about happen, they don't have to happen. It's how we think about stress, not how stress is actually aligning in our, in our body or how much we have of it. It's how we think about it. So I'll, I'll share one quick study, um, which is that we looked a, a across a large swath of the, of the United States and asked people like, what brings purpose and meaning to your life? And the number one correlate was stress. And we're like, oh, we screwed this up. We, we did this wrong. We're not, we're not being very clear. Let's do it again. Stress, again, it's the, the past events, the current amount of stress that you have in your life. And even the future anxiety and worry about stress was the number one correlate to a purposeful, meaningful life. So thinking about stress in a way of like, oh, this is meaningful to me. This must mean something to me. This is a this is a barometer of how much this means to me rather than I'm going to fail, I'm going to screw up, I'm going to tell that story actually shifts us into this adventure mindset rather than than having all of those negative effects of the distress that I think we we get into. Yeah, so that's interesting as you were talking about the Olympic athlete, of course, they have, you know, high high degrees, but I had that thought of I wonder if they see it as part of the adventure or if it's excitement. So, how might we begin to practice reframing our experience of stress so that it, you know, you gave some ideas there, having it give some insight into, oh, this matters to me, or this must yeah. be important. Any <laughs> other, I don't know, tactical tips that we could- Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to give you my T minus three technique. All right. T minus three. It's really simple. And this is based on a ton of data. So don't let the simplicity fool you. The first step in T minus three is actually to acknowledge the stress. I think so often we're like, we're trying to get rid of it or trying to not think about it. I want you to set a three minute timer and actually stress out of your gourd, write down all the things that are going to go wrong, allow your thoughts to spin out of control. And I say three minutes specifically for a reason. So our stress response is really built for three minutes of screaming terror across the savannah. That's it. That's what it's built for, right? You're, you're getting chased by a tiger. And after those three minutes, you're dead or you've outrun the tiger, one or the other. That's like, you've done it, you've survived. So I need you to allow your body to go through that physiological moment of, of I'm being chased by a tiger, right? Stress out of your gourd for three minutes. And again, the reason that that so often this fails is that people push it aside and they don't they don't allow themselves to experience it. And so I'll ask your listeners right now, like, don't think about pink elephants. Right? Of course, of course you're thinking about pink yeah. elephants when you try <laughs> not to do it, right? So give yourself that three minutes. Okay. After those three minutes, and I'll I'll give you a little bonus bonus if during those three minutes you're you're running you're walking you're moving your body because you're at a heightened physiological state your heart is already pounding elevate it even more outrun the tiger as it were okay after that step two take two physiological sighs 
No, a physiological sigh. I know everybody's like, oh, just breathe. Right. That's the <laughs> best advice you've got. And I'm like, yes. And people don't value it because it's free. So I am going to tell you, like, if you have to charge yourself to do it, to make it valuable, do it. Because physiological size are the number one thing that we've found in the laboratory to reduce cortisol, your main stress hormone, instantaneously. So a physiological sigh is this. You're breathing through your nose as deeply as you can. When you get to a point where you can't take in any more oxygen, you're just going to sip in through your mouth. Those little extra bits to really, really fill up your lungs. You'll count one, two, and then release through your mouth. So I can go through exactly what that's doing physiologically if you want me to, but but what you need to know is two of those. And I guarantee you, your listeners right now, if you do it, you're going to feel a shift in your body. It's pretty incredible. And then the third step, the final piece of T minus three is to get curious, ask a question, any question. It doesn't even matter. I, I have a, a whole list of questions that I can give you to start, but it doesn't matter if you ask, like, I wonder why the ceiling is always painted white right? Like that's a question. That's fine. What I'm asking you to get curious, why I'm asking you to get curious is that curiosity and fear cannot coexist. It is so important to recognize curiosity and fear cannot coexist. There is literally no, no brain mechanism that allows the two things to exist together. It's because when our brains were evolving, right? Nobody ever had a tiger charging at them and went, huh, I wonder, I wonder how fast it's coming. It doesn't allow, your stress response won't allow for that to happen. Um, so what this does is it allows you to kick yourself out of fear if you're just willing to pause momentarily and get curious. Hey, listeners, are you feeling overwhelmed by stress? I'm guessing the answer is yes, because, well, I don't know a woman who isn't. Hey, Freya is just what we need. You can actually measure your stress with their easy-to-use at-home stress test and manage it with their Thrive Supplement. Thrive is more than just a multivitamin. It's packed with essential nutrients and powerful aptogens to support your stress response and overall well-being. It's made specifically for women, and I've been taking it for three months now and can feel and see a difference. Even Jay's noticed I've been less stressed. It's that obvious. It's time to thrive, not just survive. And here's a little something to get you started. Our exclusive promo code HAYWORK25 will get you 25% off your purchase. That's right. 25% off. Use the link in show notes to head over to Hey Freya's website and don't forget to use HeyWork25 at checkout. Your journey to a stress-free life is just a click away. More on the topic of stress as we head back to the show. So my regular listeners know that mm -hmm. I am obsessed with curiosity. Like it <laughs> is I it, one of those things that I undervalued for way too long in my life. And I, like I'm practicing it on a regular basis. So I love everything about the T minus three, but that very specifically, I think is a, a good tactic. And I like that you said too, that it can be curiosity about anything. I think especially as women, we think it needs to be big in order for it to count or meaningful. Like what's the purpose <laughs> so of life true. as opposed to like, so true. why did I choose that paint color? So thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, the first, the first question I always ask is, is it a tiger? Like, is this literally a life and death situation? Will I die if I make the wrong? No. Oh, okay. Because our brain is like, this is irreversible. You'll never be the same. Everything is reversible except for death. Like that's, that's the reality. So yeah, take, take Good. some pressure off. Okay. I have to ask you about, you have on your website fearless, but that mm. less is, so 
I interpret that as the difference between fearless and fear less. Let's talk about that. <laughs> and yeah, Nicole, face. you nailed okay. it. That's I'm, okay. I'm so glad that you picked up on that. Um, so I'm not an advocate for being fearless. I think fear Same. has a, yeah, it has a place. There's a reason to be scared when, you know, it's nighttime and you hear footsteps behind you. Like that is a good thing for your body to respond to that fear. Fearing less, as I talk, like the, the parentheses around the less, is about being com- becoming conscious and cognitive of those fears. And to say, is this something I should be fearing? And I, I hate to use the word should even, but is this is this a valid fear? Or is this one of those automatic negative thoughts? Is this, I'm going to get rejected. Nobody will love me. Um, I'm, not, I'm not enough. Because those fears aren't valid. So my job, as I see it, is to help people fear less, but not ignore fear. Fear is is, is important. Yeah. Yeah. I also think the messaging of fearless makes a lot of us feel like when we experience fear, that there's something wrong with us. And and we do that thing that you were saying earlier, where we just dismiss it or push it aside versus allowing Mm -hmm. us to experience it. Yeah. Okay. I have one more like really practical tip on that. Um, and that has been transformative in my own life. I, I, I use something called a disaster diary to help me manage some of these, these stressors. Um, and when I have a big decision or I, I think something's going to go wrong, or I write down in my diary, like how I ethically am going to fail. Right. And then I close it and I come back. I set a timer to come back the next day, the next week, the next month and the next year. And I just, I've left some space because one or one of three things happens. Either it's an absolute disaster. It goes exactly as I, as I thought it would. It's, it's awful. And I've learned something, which is incredible. And then I can dictate like, oh, here's what I learned. And here's how I'm going to do it differently next time. And I didn't die. And none of the things that actually I thought people were going to judge me for that, you know, I, I learned that or nothing happens right? Or it turns out better than I expected. And all of those things help me build on that, that brain chatter that says, oh gosh, this is going to be a terrible, terrible thing. Um, because when I look back a year from now, I'm like, I can't even believe I was stressed about that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. What I love about that is it begins to have us think about that voice in our head as a perspective, as opposed to the truth. And I think mm. that so often we interact with, I call it our head trash, but we interact with it as if it's, you know, our inner knowing or some sort of truth teller and how often that's not the case. And when, what I like about a practice like that, I'm definitely going to start doing it myself is it gives you evidence of, okay, it was just a perspective. It was just a voice in my head. It was just the worst case scenario that my brain defaults to, but it's not. Yeah. The truth. It's not the be all end all. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually named that voice and I'm sorry for any of your listeners. that have any loved ones by this name, but I, I named him Chad and Chad is my protector. Like he's, he's super nervous about everything. He's kind of miserable. I'm like, Chad, thank you. Okay. I appreciate you, Chad. I actually, I pat myself on the head. If you're listeners, I can't see this. I'm ridiculous. I pat myself on my head. I'm like, thank you, Chad. I hear you. I know you're trying to protect me. This is not what I need right now. And just being able to have that conversation with your fear or your chat or your negative Nancy or whatever it I like, I hate those terms, but you know, pick, pick a voice, pick a name, because then it is just a perspective. It's not yeah. you. It's not a deep knowing. Yeah. I love that. I think I would have to pick Dick short for Richard <laughs> for my voice because sometimes it's Richard and 
and it's protecting me. And sometimes it's yeah. just a dick. <laughs> just a dick. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I have to ask, are there any biological or sociological differences around how women experience stress or what triggers it or versus any of the under, other genders? Yeah, I'm so glad that you, I'm so glad you asked this question because it is a really important one. And the reality is we're still really far behind on how, on the research on how women respond to stress, because it wasn't until 1990 that we actually started looking at women in research, like in the stress research, which drives me absolutely insane. Um, We only looked at male responses because that's who we're experimenting on. And so we assumed that everything was fine for all of the genders. Um, This is just how everybody responds. No, incorrect. Turns out women respond to stress 70% of the time with a freeze response. So we've heard about fight flight. A lot of people haven't even heard of freeze and freeze um, physiologically, you know, it looks often like this, just, you know, sitting completely still. And there's a whole spectrum of, of how, um, of how the the freeze response occurs in, in women. And it occurs in men too, but predominantly women. And what ends up happening is you can get completely immobile in your body. You can't move or you can't speak, or you can speak and you can move, but it's a, it's, it tends to be a ten and befriend response where you smile. Um, and this is incredibly dangerous and incredibly important to understand that this is physiological. You actually are not controlling this. It is your brain's evolved tendency to, to escape a dangerous situation. And when we think about this and we put this in the context of evolution and and behavior, it makes a lot of sense. Like women, and I'm not trying to insult us, but like we tend to be physically less dominant. So fighting our way out of a, out of a predator situation, not ideal. We tend to be not as fast, especially as men. Right. Um, So running away, probably not a great option. So what's the best way to survive, for example, a sexual assault? Well, try not to die. And that can look like a freeze or a smile. And, um, and unfortunately what ends up happening in a lot of, I'll just use sexual assault as an example. A lot of these cases, women are freezing. They don't understand why they didn't because they've only been trained to, to punch, to kick, to fight, to scream. And they're like, why didn't I, I don't understand why I didn't. And then they have this secondary, you know, victimization of themselves by themselves, which is, which is a real shame. And we're not training men to understand what a freeze response looks like. And so a woman may smile and nod and that's consent. And that's a, that's a big problem. So sorry, I didn't need to go off down that that tangent, but I think it's so important to understand. It's so important to understand. We just did last week an episode on menopause and stress. And similarly, it's like, there's so little or or long standing um research being done and it's, a lot of it is new and it's it's uh to your point if we're not aware of it then we as women when we experience it don't understand it and and go into blame often or shame yeah yeah and men or other genders aren't understanding how to interpret Respond. Or, yeah 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 it's and and wild. you know it, it is wild. And especially in this case, men are, men are designed by evolution to be, you know, sexually over perceivers. So they think women are into them a lot more than they are. So in this case, you know, a woman who's frozen and smiling, that's, that's a really, that's setting, that's setting all genders up for disaster. 
So I think the more we talk about it, and especially the more we talk about it as women to, to release ourselves of that blame, shame, guilt, this is normal. This is normal. And it's, it's sad that that's our response, but it's normal. So allow yourself that grace. Okay. I want to ask something. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to word this very well or frame it, but it's something around, you know, when we talked about stress being a contributor to your productivity and meaningful work and all of that, I do think there's an element that maybe it's more of a woman thing where we say yes to things that we don't really want to be saying yes to, and we commit to things or, or whatever. And that triggers stress but I'm not really sure how to reframe that as like a good thing. Um, any thoughts yeah. <laughs> or tips? There? Yeah, yeah. My my thoughts or tips are before the stress. Actually, I, maybe maybe the way to think about this is first of all, I'll say no is a complete sentence. You do not need to justify or you know explain why no. No is no. No, sorry. No, thanks. Thank you. Not even sorry. Just thank you. No, I have other obligations. I, I'm a big fan of Jomo which is the joy of missing out rather than FOMO. Oh my gosh. Because while, yeah. Sign yeah. me up for that. Yeah, exactly. I would like to be treasurer or vice president or whatever, because that it's is- The FOMO yeah. club? Yeah, the general <laughs> club? Yeah, because the reality is either you're experiencing a stressor now or you're experiencing a stressor later. And so that's the thing that we have to keep in mind is like, I'm going to experience the stress of saying no right now, which is, which is stressful, especially for women, because we somehow, and again, this is a lot of, of cultural conditioning as well as biological conditioning. We feel like we have to serve everybody all the time and be people pleasers. And so it can be very stressful to say, no, this isn't an alignment. However, if you do not say no, then you're going to add stress later on. So it's a, it's a either now or later. Um, I often will ask myself, is future Rebecca going to be happy with this decision? Because if I would not say yes right now to doing this thing immediately, I'm not going to feel good about it a week from now when it's scheduled. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, thanks so much for your consideration. That means a lot. I appreciate that you, you consider me for this opportunity. I just, I can't take anything on more on now. Thanks. Yeah. I feel like it's this, okay, if I'm experiencing stress, but I can turn it and see how it's excitement and anticipation and adventure, then that's awesome. But if my stress very quickly is tied to resentment, then that's probably the biggest sign I should have said no, (laughs) no in the first place. Huge. And and again, think about it. If, if this is going to be exciting for somebody else, you're actually, you're doing a favor to somebody else to open this opportunity for them when you say no. Yes. So I, I think, you know, consider that, consider that possibility as well. Great, great perspective and reminder. Okay. I cannot let you go without talking about the Barbie movie. And I know it might not totally be related to our topic today. It totally but I saw... is. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to just share my opinion and, and, and I'm open to whatever yours is. I didn't really love the movie. I wanted to like it. Everybody told me I was going to like it. It had moments. There were a couple moments where I was like, okay, yeah. I'm, I, I, and then the rest of it, I just really did not like. Okay, so now your perspective. <laughs> okay, so I want to, I mean, we could, we could do an entire podcast on this. So I do want to understand more about like what parts you, you didn't like. Here was the thing. I, I came home and I was like, that was cute. Like that was okay. They they hit some things and and like yeah, there was some there were some moments, but over the course of a couple of days, here's what began bothering me. It was the Kens. 
Mm-hmm. So the Kens had no power. And I'm not talking about the traditional power that we typically recognize, the masculine power of you know, finance and, and politics and business leadership. I'm talking about the vulnerability, the introspection, the deep friendships, the connectedness, the hallmarks of feminine power. There, there was none, right? I, they're flaccid. They're completely flaccid on all fronts of everything, well, for the Kens. And so to me, I was like, oh my gosh, is this, this isn't a celebration of feminine power. This is a celebration of masculine power. Which is fine. Like we should, we should cheerlead women into positions of of all gender power. But we haven't done the same. If we haven't done the same for the Kens, if we haven't cheerleaded men into positions of feminine power and recognizing the the value and worth of caretaking and tending and befriending community and like these traditional feminine roles, that undercuts everybody. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. To me, I I had some I had some deeper issues with the with the Barbie movie but um yeah that was my take (laughs) I love your take and I'm gonna sit with that a little bit longer because I don't know that I've really thought put much thought into or like how to articulate my feelings I just I, I remember thinking I often say I don't advocate for women at the expense of men and I'm not advocating for the feminine at the expense of the masculine it's it's that and there was something in the movie that didn't jive with that commitment that I had so that's that that was it for me it was like okay well you can you can switch the biological sexes but then you've just switched the biological sexes this isn't this isn't it it was power to me was the was the problem there Mm -hmm. um and just uh yeah. So we yeah. can, we can, we can dive deeper. I actually just gave a TEDx on, on exactly that. So that's coming out in the next few months. You, you yeah. Really, you I saw that you did that. And I was like, Oh, yeah. I need to ask her. I know it's not totally on, to- but it ended up being kind of on topic. So, okay. Um, if you are listening, you absolutely need to connect with Rebecca, go to Rebecca She has a fear less adaptability quiz to see if your stress mindset might be holding you back on her website. I highly encourage you take that. We'll put it in show notes. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here today. This was a joy. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Okay. I'm going to wrap up our time together by acknowledging that I don't think I've interacted with a single woman or maybe even a single person, but I mostly talk to women. So I'm going to stick with what I know that isn't experiencing stress at an uncomfortable or unhealthy level. I've become so used to being stressed that I'm not sure I even recognize it anymore. I need my aura ring to point it out for me. And I've ordered Hey Freya's stress test and I'm definitely doing Rebecca's adaptability quiz to get more insight into how my body is managing or not managing my stress. I've dropped the links of all of those products and recommendations in show notes if anyone else is interested, but because like so many things, stress can be a strength and can be used for good. But when taken too far, it can become our biggest obstacle and barrier. It can literally kill you. And I don't think you or I were meant to live like this. I don't believe overburdened, overwhelmed, anxious, irritable, and afraid should be part of our everyday experience. Fear less, not fearless. De-stress, not distress, because that is woman's work.